and the new year brings with it new year's resolutions. And I guarantee you that if you made a resolution on the 31st of December, I guarantee you that there are many people in this room who've already broken their new year's resolutions. On that note, we will now close in prayer. I guarantee you, do you know why? Do you know why? Because the New Year's resolution you make is going to meet up against resistance. It's going to be resisted. If it is something that will improve your life, your body, your soul, your spirit, whatever it is, your New Year's resolution, your decisions and choices to improve your education, to improve your mind, to improve your soul, to improve your body are going to meet up with resistance. In fact, I think you've already met resistance today. When you woke up this morning and you opened your eyes and thought, I can't wait to get to church this morning. When you woke up and, the, and your body said, ah, come on, just another five minutes. Just leave me here nice and warm. When you know that you want to go to church and your body says, no, I'd rather stay here nice and warm and snoozing away. That is resistance. That's what it is. And you're experiencing it in your life every day, whether you know it or not. My intention today is to try and bring attention to that resistance in your life and to see what it is that we can do about the resistance that we face. But first, a fast, very fast journey back into the Greek legends. And I want to talk to you about a guy called Odysseus. Has anybody here ever heard of the Odyssey? If you've heard of the Odyssey, put up your hand. Okay. The Odyssey is the story of a guy called Odysseus. He's returning from the Trojan Wars. Remember Helen of Troy? He's returning from the Trojan Wars, and on his way back, he gets delayed. On his way back to his home island of Ithaca, he gets delayed, and he takes him 10 more years to get home because of various delays and different resistance to him getting home. And every time he makes progress, something pushes him back. Every time he makes a bit of ground, something else gets in the way or distracts him or pushes him aside. But on his way home, he goes through what's called the underworld. The Greeks believed that there was an underworld, and the god of the underworld was Hades. You'll have read Hades even in your New Testament. You'll have read about him. But in, in the underworld, Odysseus meets and sees a guy called Sisyphus. And Sisyphus has been condemned to all eternity because he was proud. And because he was a trickster, he was condemned by the gods for all eternity to roll a rock up a hill. And as he rolled the rock right to the top of the hill, it would roll right down to the bottom again. And he would to roll the rock back up to the top of the hill, and then he'd have to roll it back down again. And he'd have to roll, and so on and so forth. I'm sure you get the picture. And that's what he was condemned to. He was condemned to effort and failure time after time after time after time after time after time again. And I've experienced that in my life. Effort, followed by failure, followed by effort, followed by failure. And it is the resistance in our lives to what it is that God wants to do in our lives. You see, resistance will take different forms for you and for me. Resistance for me or for you might be fear. It might be worry. It might be anxiety about what you're about to do. It might be fear of what people will think about what you are about to do. It may be distraction. Resistance distracts you from an important task. 
It'll take all sorts of forms. It'll take the form of frustration, distraction, diversion. It'll take every sort of form. But the bottom line for resistance is it is stopping you from becoming the person that God wants you to be and living the life he has called you to live. Are you with me? Yeah. You with me? Boy, you're very serious. I'm feeling the resistance coming up onto the stage this morning. You see, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we read about three forms of resistance. In effect, the three things that oppose Christians are laid out in the New Testament very, very clearly as you read through all the stories of the New Testament and as you read the letters of the New Testament, more importantly. Those three things are called the following. They're called the world, which refers to the world's social system. It refers to its values. It refers to the way that the world works and what the world considers to be most important. There is the flesh. When I use the word flesh, it's an old English word meaning literally the body or your, if you will, your own human nature or the selfish nature or the sinful nature as the Bible calls it. And of course, there is the devil. Those three things are continually opposing you and resisting you from doing what God wants you to do and living the life that God has called you to live. And so I want to look at those this morning. I don't look at all of them. I'm going to look at one of them this morning. But the context for this is what Paul says about your life and about my life. This is what Paul says to the church at Colossae in the book of Colossians. He says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us. All of us, all of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Before we knew Jesus, there was nothing standing in the way for us to indulge whatever desire we wanted. Our contraire, our body, our culture, our society very often encouraged us to indulge those very same desires that would pull us away from God. I want to look this morning at the first of those three. I want to look actually, I want to look at the, what I think is the middle one. Because in some senses, these, this resistance affects us in concentric circles. And at the center of it is ourselves. The guy we, you woke up with this morning, the girl you woke up with this morning, yourself. That's the primary source, if you will, of the resistance to what God is doing in your life. Paul writes about it an awful lot in the New Testament. He talks about the struggle between the sinful nature, the flesh, and the spiritual nature. The nature that we have now that we have been born again in Jesus Christ. The book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. Hallelujah. But that's not the end of the story. That's kind of the start of the story. So we're going to look this morning at the resistance and we're going, to, we're going to look at the flesh and looking at inside. I'm going to look at what it feels like, maybe from the perspective of some of the apostles writing the New Testament and see what they have to say about it. But first, a quote by a very famous Irish writer. Any guesses? <laughs> Absolutely wrong. It's Oscar Wilde has a great quote for us. Oscar Wilde said this in his play, The Lady Windermere's Fanny. He said, I can resist anything except temptation. And he rejoiced in his irresistibility to temptation. Oscar Wilde indulged every possible temptation that he could indulge. Never resisted it. And unfortunately his life shows all, or his life showed all the signs of his irresistibility to temptation. Gotta say this to you. If you are trying to live the Christian life, 
and you are finding no resistance, if you feel no resistance to praying, to serving, to loving God, to following Jesus, if you feel no resistance to being a Christian every day in your life, I have to ask you a question. Are you sure you're a Christian? Because every Christian experiences this. And so from one great Irish writer, to another great Irish writer. Aha, no, 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 we're on the page. C.S. Lewis, this is what he said. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. No man knows how bad he is. It's like the young Catholic boy. I was a young Catholic boy growing up. The young Catholic boy who decided he wanted a bike for Christmas and he was going to pray for a bike for Christmas. So he ran into his bedroom, kneeled down by his bed and said, Lord, I want to be good for the next six months and I'd like to get a new bike for Christmas. Amen. And he got up and he ran out of the room and he went up and he thought, you know, six months is a bit long. So he comes back and he says, Lord, he says, I'm going to be good for the next three months, but I want to get a new bike for Christmas. Yes, amen. And he gets up and he runs out and then he gets outside the door and he's another thought about it. And he goes and he says, Lord, I want to be a good boy for the next week. But I want to get a new bike for Christmas. Amen. Amen. He gets up and leaves. And even then as he goes out the door, he realizes there's something wrong. And there in front of him, he sees the statue of the Virgin Mary on the landing outside his bedroom door. And he grabs the statue of the Virgin Mary, gets in, gets on his knees, stuffs the statue under the bed and says, Lord, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want a bike for Christmas. <laughs> no man knows how bad he is until he's tried to be good. No man knows how bad he is until he tries to be good. Because he has to try to be good. It's not going to happen automatically. I want to look at what Paul says. He writes in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, he tells, uh, he talks about his struggle, his own personal struggle. Now, some people say, well, maybe he's not. He's talking about before he became a Christian. Or maybe he's talking about after he became a Christian. Put that out of your head. When you read it, you'll know that he's talking about his day-to-day -day life as a living Christian. So may God bless us as we read his word. Can I get an amen? amen? Here we go. The war within is how this is titled actually in some of the study Bibles. The war within. Here's what Paul says. I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, then this shows that I agree that God's law, God's way is good. And so I'm not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. He goes on to say, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one who's doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. And he goes on. He says, I've discovered this principle that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And I don't know about you, but maybe it's happened to you before that the very thing you didn't want to do is the very thing you end up doing. And the good thing that you did want to do turns out to be the very thing that you didn't do. In matters of mice and men, in the present and the past, the things that I ended up, that I planned to do first, I end up doing last. It's always the same. It's always the same. There's good that you want to do, but you don't do it. You end up doing the thing that you didn't want to do. Let me give you a simple example from, let's say, a random person's life, okay? So I go in and I say, right, this evening, I'm not going to eat 
any chocolates tonight, okay? I've eaten enough chocolates. Is anybody feeling my pain here? I said, I'm not going to eat enough chocolate. I've eaten enough chocolate. I'm not going and, and, you know, to sit down here. I'm going to watch the TV and I'm not going to think about the chocolate in the fridge. And the minute I say chocolate in the fridge, it just goes around in my head. Chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge. And then it says, how are you, honey? I say, I'm grand. Chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge. And then something on the news says, 47 people blown up. I say, yes, that's terrible. Chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge. And my son comes in and says, Dad, I got a new job. And I go, that's great. Chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge, chocolate in the fridge. They say, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to do it. And next thing, the next thing I know is I'm staring into the fridge. Where's the chocolate in the fridge? And I said, I'm definitely not going to do it. I'm, that's definitely not going to happen to me this time. Or another classic. This is another one of my experiences. I say, okay, this is what I'm going to do tonight. Now, I know none of you can relate to this. Tonight, I'm just going to watch one episode of my favorite series on Netflix. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to my room and I'm going to pray. And I sit down and I press play. And four and a half hours later, it's quarter to midnight. And I say, right. I'm not going to get up and pray before I go to bed. And I get up and I pray and I say, Lord, thank you for... <laughs> Anybody's experience? No, I'm sure not. What I want to do, I don't do. But the thing that I said I don't want to do, I end up doing that. Why? Because of resistance. Because of distraction. Because of delay. Because of doubt. Because of fear. Because of machia, hunger. When these things happen in our lives, it is just pure resistance pressing in upon us so that we don't fulfill God's plans and God's purposes for our life. And we don't do what is best for us. It's like when you decide you want to go for a run. You decide, okay, in the new year I'm going to be fit. And you get up on January 1st and you go out and you put on your brand new trainers. You go, look, I got these new trainers for the new year and they're going to go for a run. You go for a run. You go, hey, this is amazing. I don't know why I don't do this every day. And the following morning you get up and you go, oh, okay, I'm going to go for another run. Today I'm going to go for another run. I go for five kilometers. You go, oh, yeah, that was kind of amazing yesterday. And then on Wednesday it's like, oh, my legs are too sore to go running. Your body rebels against your mind. And you feel the resistance and you don't do it anymore. And Paul is talking about that war within. And he goes on to say this, Oh miserable person who will set me free from this body that is dominated by sin and death. He says this, The answer, thank God the answer lies in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. He's saying that the resistance that I feel when I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do, the resistance that I feel, the cure to that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Miserable man that I am, who's going to free me from this life of death that I'm carrying around with? So he says, you see how it is? In my mind, I want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I rebel against God's plans and God's purpose. And this fella inside here, my sinful nature, which is almost like my evil twin, doesn't let me do it because he shows up his resistance. And he says, the answer is, thanks, he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, why is Jesus able to help us? There's one main reason why Jesus is able to help us, and it's this. He himself went through the same temptation experience that you went through. Take your pick. He was also tempted in the same way. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says, and here's how he articulates it in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, because he himself suffered, talking about Jesus, 
Jesus, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hallelujah. So when you're in trouble and when you're tempted, and let me use my frivolous example, Lord, help me not to get up and open the fridge and eat the chocolate. In Jesus' name, amen. And you know something I've done? I've actually tried that, not with chocolate, but I've tried with other things in my life and said, Lord, I need strength right now. And do you know what happens? I get strength. It's the purest thing about resistance. It doesn't have any power of its own. It's only the power that you give it. That's the power it has. If you push back against it, it generally dissipates. Here's what Paul writes. He puts it in a slightly different way. He's writing to the church in Galatia, to the Christians, the early Christians in Galatia. And he's writing to them because they've kind of, well, does, it does, doesn't matter. It's going to be too much background. Anyway, he's writing to them this, and he's talking about his, the same struggle to the churches, to the Christians in Galatia. And this is what he says to them. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And then Lovey says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. There's a constant war. When you were born again into the kingdom of God, you were born into a battle, you were born into a war. And that war takes place within you as much as it takes place anywhere else. These two forces, and so he goes on to say, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. You're not free to do what you please. You can't just decide you are going to meet resistance and you're going to have to wrestle against your inner self, against your sinful nature. You're going to have to wrestle that if you're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to have a battle. So how is it then that we do face up to this battle? How is it that we get past this resistance if it's so strong? And if we listen to Paul, it is incredibly, incredibly strong. It is so natural. It is our default position, if you will. How do we push back against it? Well, it's about the driving force in your life. What is the driving force in your life? What's driving you? Is it just your own will and your own energy? Or is there something more powerful at work in you? Is there something that is more powerful available to you that will make it easier for you to fight this battle? There is, and Paul articulates it. This is what he says. He says, so I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit guiding our lives, we kind of see it a little bit like Google Maps. I was walking up McCurtain Street and the Holy Spirit told me to take the third, turn on the left and go through the right door and talk to the man in the blue jumper. We can sometimes see it like this. No, some people do experience that, but that is much more a prophetic leading of the Holy Spirit. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is illustrating something that's much closer to the image of this railway train here. I used a freight train for a specific purpose. So here, this is a, this is a freight train, and this train here, this yoke at the front here, is, this is the locomotive of the train. Are you with me, yeah? You with me? Yeah? Yeah. yeah, okay. So this is the locomotive of the train. Now, all of these are the carriages that it is pulling. These carriages have no power of their own. They only have power as long as they stay connected to the locomotive. And the locomotive, spiritually speaking, is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the only way that the rest of your life can follow. When he says, be led, he's talking about Jerusalem, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This locomotive is guiding these along these tracks. 
tracks, this, but this is doing the pulling, that's doing the hard work. Are you with me? If the work isn't generated by our own self-will, or our own willpower, or our own muscle, or our own minds, it is generated by the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Those who are pulled along, pulled along by the Spirit of God, they're the children of God. They're the people, the people whose lives are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they are the children of God. You see, when we think about following the Holy Spirit, we can think of it a bit like, a bit like the safety car in Formula One. If you've ever seen Formula One, or if you've ever seen any motor car racing, sometimes they'll use what's called a pace car that's in front of all the racing cars, and then the other cars have to follow the pace car around the track. And we think it's like that, but that's not the image that we should have in mind when it talks about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit is God pulling our lives along to the destination that he intends for them. Are you with me? Are you with me? Jesus put another way. Let's stick with my train analogy just for a moment. Jesus put, Jesus put it a slightly different way. Here's what he said. He said, he said, I, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Hallelujah. Does anybody here want to bear fruit? Hallelujah. How do we bear fruit? We remain in him and he in us and we'll produce much fruit. And he goes on to say this, for apart from me, you can do nada, nada. You can do nothing, nada. You can do absolutely nothing apart from me. And we go, yeah, but I mean, I can do this. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reason I use this train illustration here is very simple. This is a passenger train, right? So the passengers in this train are connected to this locomotive that's pulling all the passengers in the train. You with me? Yeah. Now, if this carriage here, this, I'm, I'm going to fall over something here. If the second carriage becomes detached from the locomotive, where does that carriage go? Nowhere. Tom knows. Where does that carriage go if it comes detached? It goes nowhere. It has no power. That's why, because it's become detached from the locomotive that is driving its life. That's how it's driving it to its destination. Now, they've got some lovely passenger seats in that car. But if you're sitting in that railway car with no attachment to locomotive, you may be sitting comfortably, but you're going nowhere. And the Lord does not want your life to go nowhere. He wants your life to have a purpose and a plan and a direction. That's what he wants to have for your life. So you must stay connected to the source of power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we all on board? Yeah. Okay. How do we do that, Michael? We go into what I call resistance training. And resistance training, if anybody is in any way familiar with training, you know this. Resistance training is when you resist a weight, or best of all, you resist gravity using your own body weight. You can do squats. I do push-ups so that my shoulder is goosed. Uh, you can do squats. You can do sit-ups. You can do all sorts of exercises that just use your body weight to resist gravity and you begin to build muscle. For instance, when you see an astro or when you see astronauts come back from space, say from the International Space Station, after six months and they land down in Kazakhstan or they land wherever there's they land and they open the capsule and the and the the, 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 the astronaut just sits there waving and everybody smiles and they lift him out inside in his chair. The reason is very simple, he can't walk. All of his muscles have become weakened. Why? Because he had no resistance in his in his body for the past six months. And so his muscles begin to do what's called atrophies. And it's the same for you. If you do not resist the desires within you, the desires around you, the desires above you, if you do not resist them, you will atrophy spiritually and you will lose all of your spiritual muscle. Yeah. 
And that's not God's plan for you, brothers and sisters. Could I get an amen? amen? How do we do that? How do we, what is resistance training? Well, there's an old thing. It's been around for thousands of years. Christians have been doing it for years. It's called the spiritual disciplines. And it's really simple. You think, oh, it must be some amazing. No, it's really, really, really simple. The rules, if you will, are simple, but the work can sometimes be a little bit harder. What are the spiritual disciplines? They're really simple. They're this. They're praying. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you go to pray, that the, you remember everything except what you were supposed to pray for? I forgot I must ring Shawnee. Or oh, the, the gutters need to be cleaned out. Or oh, that wall needs to be painted. Gosh, I must send a bunch of flowers to Tom because it's his birthday. You know, you know, all those things kind of go through your head. Everything goes through your head except the one thing that you were supposed to do when you pray. That's called resistance. Here's another one. Everyone's favorite. Fasting. Yay. What are you doing this week? I'm going fasting. No, you're not. Some of you are, by God's grace. Some of you are. Fasting. And do you know what happens? Even the word fasting, my body says, no. Why? Because your body is rebelling against your fasting. Your body wants to be fed. Your body wants to be comforted. Your body wants to be looked after. Your inner sinful nature wants to be coddled and comforted and cuddled and kept warm. But fasting teaches it who's the boss. That's why Tom quoted this morning. Paul said, I buffet my body. I make it my slave. It does what I tell it. I don't do what my body tells me. I do. It does what I tell it. Fasting is another one. I wrote a couple of other ones. Reading, studying the Bible. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Well, somebody said to me a little while ago, they, they came to me after church. God bless them. said, uh, Pastor Mike, I, I, I read my Bible, I try to read my Bible as often as I can, but I'm going to be honest with you, I really struggle because the Bible is really boring. Now I've been reading the same Bible for about, not the same copy of the Bible, but I've been reading the Bible that this person's reading for the last 35 years, and I can tell you this, this Bible is not boring. But there are times when it can appear boring to us. It's boring compared to Narcos and Netflix, isn't it? Amen. It's boring compared to Game of Thrones, which I've never seen, but if you have, you're a sinner. It's boring compared to flashing lights on the television that give you a shot of dopamine every 16 seconds. Of course it is, because it takes discipline to sit down and read your Bible. Let me continue on. Let me try something else. Worship. Worship is a spiritual discipline. You've done it already this morning. Hallelujah. You've come in and you've said, it's not just all about my life. I'm going to focus on the Lord and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to thank him and I'm going to honor him for who he is and all that he's done in my life. That is a very, very, very important spiritual discipline. You've already done that this morning, so no lectures about that one for you. Community, coming in and gathering with God's people, sometimes called fellowships, sometimes called church, you stick in whatever you like. Community, being around other Christian believers is a vital, vital spiritual discipline. Now you've obviously cracked that code this morning by being here. But for some of you, you haven't been in church for a long time. Can I just say to you, this is what the Lord wants to say to you. Put it in your diary. Make it a plan. Be there. Get to church. Be amongst God's people. You see, for some of us, outgoing Harry like me, hey, 
day. I'm happy to see everyone. I love people. I love being around people. I get energy from being around people. Other people, however, are not as outgoing, happy Harry as me, and they struggle to be in a crowd. So may God bless you. If you are in that group, if you struggle to be amongst a big crowd of people, God bless you. He will honor you for putting his command first in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. The last one is my own personal favorite. Solitude and silence is another spiritual discipline. Being one of life's quiet people myself, not liking company or conversation, I never liked those things. Solitude and silence for me for many years was a real struggle. The older I get, the more I enjoy a bit of solitude and silence, I can tell you that. But it can, it's a real discipline. Why? Because silence gets rid of the noises that distract us. It gets rid of all the rubbish, all the demands, all the requests, all the reminders, all the updates, all the notifications. Silence gets rid of them all and we can pierce through and by God God's grace, hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for our lives. That's why solitude and silence are so important. So here are just some, they're not all, here are some of the spiritual disciplines that if we put into action in our lives, we will stay connected to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We will be led by the Holy Spirit in our lives. He will be the locomotive pulling our lives along. But they lack the most important part for all of these things is this. It is a plan. You must plan for these things to happen because they won't happen organically. People generally don't organically pray. They don't generally organically fast. They don't generally organically get into solitude and silence or even organically pick up their Bible and read it. They don't do it organically. We have to make a plan. You've got to put it into your life. Put it into your diary. Here's a simple stat. Don't know how true it is, but I'll put it out there anyway. If you put something into your diary and if you make a plan, a solid plan, not a vague plan, a solid plan to do something, you are, it's eight out of ten are the chances that you will execute on the plan that you have written down or that you have recorded or that you put into your diary. However, if you don't put it into your diary, if you don't record it and you don't write it down, the chances are one in ten that you will carry out a good intention if you don't record it and if you don't plan for it. John Piper is an American Christian preacher and writer and John Piper said this, he said, it's not that most Christians don't want to pray. Most Christians realize the importance of praying. Most Christians realize the importance of studying their Bible. He said, the weakness for Christians, the reason we struggle to read our Bible, the reason we struggle to worship, the reason we struggle to pray is because we don't make a plan. It's not in our calendar. It's not in our diary. It's not in our reminders on our phone. Are you with me? Let me name drop for a second. I was talking to Robert. I was talking to Robert Heffern. Robert Heffernan is the Irish world champion, whatever he is, 50 kilometer walker. I don't think it's 50 kilometers. I think maybe slightly shorter. 30 kilometer walker, whatever he is. So he's actually grew up in Ballyfehan. He's a close friend of, of my brother Joseph sitting down there. So he grew up with him. So I was with Joseph one day. We were having, we were having some coffee in my car and along comes Robert Heffernan, gets into the car. We have a chat. Me and Robert Heffernan, you know, world champions. We kind of chat together. You know, just not name dropping there. So, so I was talking to him and of course I said, do you mind if I ask you, Robert, what's the most important thing for you in terms of your preparation for you know walking distances in the Olympics or in the world championships and he said I once had a coach he said I had a coach I went to Russia in 2002 so this is 20 years ago I went to Russia in 2002 and he said there I was going to be coached by a very famous Polish distance walker called Robert Korzhanowski 
And Robert Korzynowski came in to meet me. I think he's like a five-time gold medal winner in distance walking in the Olympics. Five or four times, I can't remember. But uh, he goes in and he meets him. And so, so he's there on the first day. He's in Moscow. Everything's going good. And in comes Robert Korzynowski. He meets him. Hello, Robert. I am Robert also. Ha, ha, ha. It's very good. So he says, what are you doing tomorrow, uh, Robert? What are, you, what are you going to do to, tomorrow? And he says, well, you know, Robert and Cartley. He says, I, I'll get up in the morning. I don't know. i go for a 25-kilometer walk or something. I might go to the steam room and the sauna afterwards and then in the afternoon I get a bit of a rest and sure look we'll see how the day it comes at us he said Robert stop you must have a plan a good plan or a bad plan you must have a plan thank you Robert Korzynowski <laughs> you must have a plan a good plan a bad plan but you must have a plan and if you want to see these disciplines growing in your life, you must have a plan. You see, we often say the devil is in the detail, but I think just as much the devil is in the fog of war. The fog that says, you know, I definitely need to fast more and then never do another thing about it. I really should try harder to pray and then never do anything about it. It's there is this foggy aspiration in our lives and the, the reality is because it remains foggy, we never reach the potential of growth that God intends for our lives. Will you repeat after me? I must have a plan. One, two, three. Uh, <laughs> One, I used to do it like Tom, like. One, two, three. I must have a plan. Will you repeat with me? A good plan? A good plan. A bad plan? I must have a plan. What happened to your plans? They kind of died out by the time I said I must have a plan. You must have a plan. And then that way we will grow spiritually in the spiritual disciplines and we will stay connected to Jesus without whom we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And do you know what it is? We are free people. Can I get an amen? amen? Whom the Son sets free is truly free. Can I get another amen? amen. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, the, but there's something interesting about the idea of our freedom. And it's this. So, Juanita, would you put me up, please, the second last slide. Thank you, on the, on the slideshow. There's something interesting about our freedom that we must pay attention to. On Monday, the 24th of April, 1916, at quarter to one in the afternoon, Padraig Pierce came out onto the steps of the GPO in Dublin with a group of his comrades, and he read the Proclamation of Irish Independence. He stood out and he read it, and he said in that, he said, Ireland, through her sons and daughters, no breaks for her freedom, no sets out for her freedom. In essence, declaring that he, that Ireland was now a free country. But yet, what else happened on that day? Nothing happened on that day. The war of independence, which would bring Ireland its freedom, didn't start for another three years. But when Padraig Pierce stood outside the GPO and read the proclamation of Irish independence, he basically said this, Ireland is free and this means war. So the minute you declare, the Lord has set me free, would anybody say God has set them free? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? God has set me free? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that means? That means war. That's what that means. Because this is what Paul writes to the Galatians. He says, he says Christ has set us free to live what kind of life? A free life. So take your stand against the resistance, brothers and sisters. Take your stand against the resistance in your own soul. And never again 
Let anyone, let anyone put you for the harness of slavery on you. Never again let anyone, including yourself, put a harness of slavery on you. Can I add to that? Never again let anyone or anything put a harness of slavery on you. Whom the Son has set free is truly free. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know, if, you're, if your prayer here this morning is to stay connected to Jesus Christ, to know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life this year, so that this year you will resist the resistance against you that's coming from within your own soul. If that's your prayer today, would you raise your hand? Would you raise the other one with it? I'm going to pray very briefly just before we sing our song and then I want to share something else, something small. Father in heaven, Lord, for all of the people inside in this room who've raised their hands, Lord, we know that we are born into a battle. Can I get an amen? amen? But Lord, we know that you have already won that battle on our behalf. Can I get an amen? Lord, this today we declare again, we are your free people. Lord God, but we also declare today, this means war. This means we will go to war against the desires in our own souls, Lord. It means that with the power of your Holy Spirit, we will defeat the desires that rise up in our own souls, that cause us to resist your purpose, your plan for our lives. Can I get an amen? amen. Lord God, I pray that while we stand here on the first normal Sunday of 2023, making this prayer, Lord, we pray that we will have victory after victory after victory through the power and in the name of Jesus Christ, all through 2023 and we pray that in Jesus mighty name and God's people say Amen. Amen.